you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, the 16th chapter this morning. Luke chapter 16. Um, I'm going to get to Revelation. I, I feel some, I, I do feel some liberty and, and, and direction um, to dig into the book of Revelation. And I do feel like we're going to spend um, at least through the first two, three, four chapters um, here on Sunday mornings going through that and then I'm probably going to shift to a Wednesday night more of a Bible study format to look at the um, the, the future part of Revelation um, and I thought I was going to go there today but I couldn't get peace about going there today um, last week I preached a sermon about um, satanic service when we think about worshiping the devil or or serving the devil we we usually think about those occultic elements of satanic worship and satanic service, and um, and none of us are gonna are gonna intentionally or purposely, at least I hope we won't, um, associate ourselves with any of that stuff or affiliate ourselves in any kind of way with it. Most of us, when we see or hear about anything like that going on, we're gonna turn and head the other direction. But um, I read from Romans 6.16, which is one I quote very often. Know ye not that to whom ye yield your members' servants to obey, his servants you are, um, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Um, and we talked about there being two personalities at play in the world, and, and either one of them can act as our master. Whoever we yield ourselves servant to obey, his servants that we are. And we can take two paths. We can either take a path of sin uh, or we can take a path of righteousness. Um, if we take a path of sin, it leads us to eternal death. If we take a path of righteous, if we take that path of obedience, it, it is a path of righteousness that leads us then um, to eternal life. And so, two personalities, two paths, and two penalties. Um, three different groups of people I talked about last week. Everybody who is an unbeliever is on that path of sin and headed for destruction. Um, there are some people who profess to believe in Jesus, but whose lives have not given fruit of that. They love sin. They might profess him with their mouth, um, but they, they do not truly believe in their heart because their life has not turned to righteousness. They've not submitted themselves to him as Savior and Lord. And they're on that same path that leads to destruction. And then there are some times, honestly, that we as Christians just hear the wrong voice and yield ourselves to the wrong master. Now, we, we may not be headed to hell because of that, but we've certainly been used by the enemy um, to hinder somebody else from hearing and seeing the message of the gospel being played out in our life. So everybody in those first two categories, um, those who, who are not believers, those who profess to be believers but are not, everybody in those first two camps are headed for the same place that Satan is headed for. Um, and I know that we, we, we've, seen this car, we've seen this made into cartoon form um, we've seen this misportrayed that hell is some place that Satan is in charge of the party. That's not true. That's not true. Satan's not in charge of hell. He's not the king of hell. There are no parties in hell. There, 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 there's, there's nothing about hell that Satan relishes except that somebody go and join him there. Um, there's nothing about hell that anybody in hell relishes. And so... Um, I, I really just felt compelled to take this to the other level this week because we forget about this, honestly. And, and I'm, I, you know, just to be forthright with you, it's something that I would like to forget about. It's something that I would like to lay aside 
and never talk about, and I don't talk about it often other than in passing, but there is a place called hell. Just as surely as there is a place called heaven. And I said this last week, and I say it again. Hell is the default destination of every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born on the face of this earth because we are all born in sin and shaping in iniquity. We're sinners by birth, and we're sinners by choice. And our sin has separated us from God. And the Bible says everybody that's not in Christ is walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that works now in the children of disobedience. And the default destination for every human being is that place called hell because we have sinned against a holy God. Jesus didn't come to earth to deliver us from all of our problems and give us a better life now. In spite of what Joel Osteen might say, this is, you will never live your best life on earth. And Jesus didn't come to, in fact, I'll say this, sometimes when you come to Christ, your life gets harder. Sometimes when you come to Christ, your life on earth, because you no longer are going with the flow of the world. You're, you're no longer um, walking in the ways of the world. And, and for that reason, persecutions and tribulations and trials, when you, listen, when you're walking uh, in sync with the enemy's plan and purpose, he's not going to bother you a whole lot because you're in his camp. You're taking as many with you as you can. But when you, when you declare your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, you declare war on the enemy. And you, became, you become then a target as much as is possible. He wants to discourage you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to destroy your witness and testimony in this world. So in many, in many ways, in fact, that's why Jesus invited us when we come to him. He invited us to come to him and die. To, 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 to deny ourselves and take up a cross and follow him. So when you, when you talk about why Jesus came to earth. He didn't come to deliver us from the trials and tribulations of this world. He came to deliver us from the hellish eternity that awaits all who do not by faith have their sins forgiven and, 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 and the penalty of sin paid for and, and, and the presence of sin escaped forever. He came to deliver us from hell. He came to free us forever from sin's penalty and from sin's power in our lives now and one day from the presence of sin Forever. That's the reason he left heaven. That's the reason he put on flesh. That's the reason he suffered and bled and died, was forsaken by God, buried. He, he did all of that so that we could escape the wrath of God. That's going to be poured out, the Bible says in Revelation, without measure upon the wicked. I'm on, I, probably every five to seven or every seven to, I don't keep a time clock, but when I feel led, I'm always going to come back to Luke chapter 16 because Jesus gives us a glimpse of hell in Luke chapter 16. We don't have anywhere else in the scripture. It is a unique place where Jesus just kind of opens the curtains on eternity and tells us, just gives us a little foretaste of what hell is going to be like. By the way, if you look through the scriptures, you don't have to take my word for this. You can go look for it. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. And I think the reason that he did that is because by his own words, there are more people going there than there are heaven. He said that there is a broad way and a wide gate that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. And by the same token, there is a straight gate and a narrow way that leads to life. And few there be 
that find it. You keep reading in that same dialogue in Matthew chapter 7, and he uses that word many on several occasions about those that are perishing, those that will stand before him, some of them even declaring that they called him Lord, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you, you lovers of sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The last part of that verse makes it very clear that we're not talking about just death of the body. That we're talking about death of the spirit, soul, and body. Because the, the last half of that verse tells us that the free gift of eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we have earned is eternal death. And that eternal death is in hell. That is where eternal death exists. That is the second death that the scripture warns about. The first is the death of the body. That second death is that place, Revelation chapter 20, is that lake of fire. That is the second death. The Bible says all those that have been born again don't have to fear the second death. We die one time. We die in our flesh, but then we live forevermore. Spirit, soul, and resurrected body. The wages that we have earned is eternal death, and the gift that Christ offers us is eternal death salvation. In Luke chapter 16, um, we are presented with the reality of hell, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says that there was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. He had a good life on earth. Verse 20 says, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. He had a horrible life on earth. Verse 22 says that it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That's simply that he went to where Abraham was this is a pre-resurrection scene i believe now he would be carried right into the presence of god because the price of sin has been paid the veil has been rent asunder uh, we have ac open access to the very throne room of god through christ but in this pre-resurrection scene the beggar died was carried by the angels into abraham's bosom the rich man also died and was buried and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, 
neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So these are the words of Jesus. Um, these are the words that are written in red in your Bible. This is the teaching of Jesus to the people that were around him. And he's speaking of hell. He's pulling back the curtain on eternity and just giving us a glimpse into this place called hell. Now, I'm, this is very simple this morning, but I don't, we don't dwell on it. We don't think about it enough. The first thing I want you to notice from the text is that Jesus is presenting to us hell as a very real place. It is, it is a place. It is not a figment of our imagination. Um, it, it, it is not a metaphor. It is not uh, an analogy. It is, it is a very real place that has been prepared by God Specifically, the Bible says that, the, that's, that, that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That, uh, that in their first rebellion against God, there was a place that was prepared for them. It, it was not made for man. Hell was not made for man. Um, but men choose hell by rejecting the free gift of salvation that is offered to them in the Lord Jesus Christ because of their unbelief and because of their love of sin. Now, you can look through the scriptures. I'm, I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't, I'm not going to go through all of these scriptures this morning. It would take us too long to get through them, especially because Jesus did talk more about hell um, than he did heaven. But let me just give you some some of the words that the Bible uses to describe this place called hell. It's called a bottomless pit. It is called a. It is called a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. It's called a place of outer darkness. All of those things speak of a very real place. A place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels and for all of those who abide in unbelief. It's a permanent place. Um, if you look again at verse 26, Abraham said, There is a great gulf that is fixed between us so that the people from there cannot come to us, and the people from here cannot go to you. There is a great gulf fixed that is impassable. It can never be exited. There is no reprieve from hell. There is no escape from hell. Um, if you believe that heaven is, is eternally enduring, then you must also believe that hell is just as eternally enduring as heaven is. That permanence is described with using different words, and you'll find these in scriptures. That, that hell is a place of everlasting burning, an everlasting fire, or another way to say that is a fire unquenchable. Um, it also uses the term everlasting punishment and everlasting um, destruction. That is the permanence of this real place called hell. Now, if you knew that you were on your way to a real place called hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels and to punish the, the unbelieving and the wicked, if you knew that that place was not permanent, if you knew that there might be some help in the end of it, you might have some hope. But the Bible makes it very clear to us that there is no end of the sufferings of hell nor of the joys of heaven. It is a real, prepared, and permanent place. Hell is a real place, and a hell has 
a real pain. This is not a this is not a figment of this man's imagination. Jesus opens the curtains on eternity and we see a man who had a good life on earth that is being tormented in a flame. To the point that he asked for one drop of water to cool his parched tongue. Um, when you think about pain, I think the pain of hell is a physical pain. This man, if you look at scripture, there is everybody is going to be resurrected. Jesus' resurrection um, is a foretaste of all resurrections. We, we were created spirit, soul, and body, and we will be resurrected spirit, soul, and body to spend an eternity with God in heaven or to spend an eternity with Satan and his fallen demons and all the wicked of this world in hell. Um, Jesus made that clear in John chapter 5 when he talked about those resurrections. He said, um, they that have done good, they that have accepted me, they, they, that's not a good work salvation. That is, a, those that have professed faith in Christ and have had their lives changed are no longer in love with sin. They're in love with me. They're in love with my ways. They're in love with my will. When they come forth, when they hear the voice of the Son of God, they're going to come forth unto everlasting life. That's what Jesus said. And those that have done evil, those that have rejected me, those that have been lovers of sin more than lovers of my way, they'll come forth to a resurrection of damnation. That is Jesus' words in John chapter 5. It is a real place with real pain, and that pain is physical. We will, go, we will not be tormented spirits. We will be tormented people in spirit, soul, and body, but if you think about the physical pain of hell, this man talked about the tormenting flames. The Bible talks about worms that will gnaw the flesh, but that will never die, and that flesh will never be consumed. It is the physical pain of touch, what we feel with our very own skin. Um, I've never been burned real bad. But I've, I've been told that some of the most horrific pain that a man can feel is the pain of burn. That there's no relief for that. But when you talk about physical pain and you talk about the sense of touch in hell, I want you to just consider this. There will be no gentle hands in hell. There will be no loving hands in hell. There will be no healing salve in hell. There will be no warm embrace to comfort our pain ever again. The physical pain, I believe, involves all the senses. It involves the sense of taste and smell. Some of these fellows that work out at GATS can tell you the smell of burning sulfur. I've been told that two of the most awful smells that you can smell on the face of this earth is burning sulfur and burning flesh. Having talked to some firemen and some policemen that have been to the scenes of accidents, they say it's like a smell that you can't get away from, like a smell that's stuck in your nostrils that you can't escape. The stench of burning sulfur and flesh and a tongue that is too parched to swallow. In hell, there'll be no smell of flowers. There'll be no taste of sweetness. There'll be no quenching of thirst for all eternity. When you think about physical pain, it involves all the senses. It involves sight. You look at the, the rich man in this story that, that died and woke up in hell and, and in torment in that flame. Um, 
the Bible says that, that those that are going to hell, that reserved for them is the midst of darkness forever and ever. The blackness of darkness. And the only fair sight that this rich man saw was the sight of Abraham and Lazarus on the other side. And that sight was unattainable to him. There wasn't any comfort in that because it was a great gulf that was fixed. There can't be any comfort in a place that you can't get to, that you can't go to. Um, in, in hell, there'll, there'll, be no more, there'll be no rainbows of promise. There'll be no beauty to behold. Um, I, I see hell as a lightless, colorless um, environment for all eternity. Can you imagine the sounds of hell? The Bible says that there'll be weeping and wailing and, and grinding or gnashing of teeth for the pain. Now, I played it years ago. I've preached this text several times through the years. I'm not going to play it this morning. I posted it on our, in our church's private Facebook group. You, you can say, well, I don't know that it's real. I don't know that it's real. I'll tell you up front. There are some that, 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 that say it was all manufactured sounds, that it, um, that, that it was all designed to bring fear. I'm not here this morning to pull on your emotions. I'm here to tell you what the Bible says about hell. What that does to you emotionally is between you and God. I, I'm just here to tell you what the truth of the matter is. But in 1989, the story behind the sounds is that in 1989, while drilling, it is the deepest well. You can look up a lot of the facts and find out that those facts are true. The deepest well that had ever been driven. Um, I, Ronnie Owens, I think, first played the sound at the tent revival over next to Millwood Baptist. I remember Shields going all the way down my back when he played that sound. Supposedly the tip of that drill bit started rotating and shaking violently and they stopped drilling, removed the drill bit, dropped the microphone down in that hole and there's 20 seconds of some of the most awful noise that you have ever heard in all of your life. Um, YouTube has pulled a bunch of them down. A lot of them, the links are all dead, but I posted one. It may be dead by the time you listen to it this evening, but I, I challenge you to go listen. And if hell sounds anything at all... In fact, I think if anything, it's going to be much worse than what you can hear on that. The sound of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. There's not going to be any laughter in hell. There's not going to be any singing in hell. There's never going to be a word of hope or peace or joy or love ever spoken again in hell. It is a physical pain that cannot and will not ever be escaped. You think of the mental pain of hell, an agony of heart and mind and emotion, a heart that is aching to escape the condemnation of hell, but can't and never will. A mind that is remembering the past. This Listen, this rich man still has a memory. And, and, and Abraham remind him of that memory that you had a good life on earth. The man who laid at your gate begging for food and was full of swords had a miserable life on earth. But you remember that in this life, you, in, this, in, in your uh, earthly existence, you had a good life. But now you're being tormented and now he's being comforted. 
There's a memory of the opportunities that presented themselves. I believe this. If you reject the call of Christ to salvation, you'll remember every time you said no to the gospel invitation. You'll remember every time uh, you rejected him as Savior and Lord of your life. You'll remember every sermon that you ever heard throughout all eternity that warned you about that place. It is a mind and a heart that aches to escape the condemnation, that remembers the past vividly, but that will never have any hope of the future. When you think about mental pain, I want you to think about indescribable terrors. You think anxiety is bad on earth. It is bad. You think, you think depression is bad on earth. It is bad. But when you think about an anxiety and a depression and a despair that will never end, there's nothing on earth that will compare to that. Immeasurable sorrow. Absolute despair. No rest. No peace. Forever. And then that spiritual pain, because I believe the torment is body, soul, and spirit. When you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it talks about when God sends the angels to execute his judgment upon this world. It uses these words in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now see, this is what I believe. I believe God is good and that God is great. And I believe that everything that is good in this world came from God. I believe if it's good, it's a gift of God. I believe it's a, if it's bad, if it's wicked, if it's evil, if it's hurtful, if it's, if it's destructive in any way, that's not God's gift to us. Um, that is the curse of sin um, that we're feeling and experiencing. See, as Lewis said, that we're living in the shadow lands of glory. And if you see anything that is good and pleasant, that it came from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, all of the good of this world is just glimpses of the glories that God has prepared for us. But if you separate a man from God if for all eternity, if you separate a man from the goodness of God for all of eternity... There's nothing but spiritual pain associated with that. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Now I know we. this is one of the objections that people give. Well, you claim he's a good God. So how, how can a good God send somebody to an eternity separated from him in that place called hell? Listen to me. Hell is man's choice. When a man says no to God all of his life, God has made every one of us in this room a free moral agent. He created us with the ability to choose life or choose death, to choose heaven or choose hell, to choose sin or choose salvation. We have that opportunity. And every time God calls us to repentance, we have an opportunity to say yes to him. But if you say no to God all of your life and God finally says, I will give you what you asked for and separate you from himself, isn't that what we say, God? When we say no to God, isn't that what we're saying? I don't want you. I don't want your gift of salvation. I don't want your way of living. I don't want that life. I don't want your goodness. I don't want your greatness. I don't want you, God. I want to do life my way. Hell is what you get when you do life your way. Hell is simply God giving mankind what they have asked for through their life. God honors our free will. 
God honors our, our, our request to deny him or to receive him. Uh, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. God honors that. Those in hell are forever forsaken by God because they forsook God while they lived on earth. They're cast away from his presence and from his glory. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power forever. And I, I think the, the real spiritual pain there is again that stark reality that there is now and forever a great gulf fix that cannot be passed. The choice that they made sealed their fate. It's a real place with real pain and real people. See, I don't believe this is a parable. I know that I know that a lot of a lot of your Bibles, a lot of our Bibles will 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 give this story in the list of parables that Jesus told. But if you take a look at the parables that Jesus told, he, didn't, he did not, as a rule, call people by name in parables. He would say a farmer or a, or a, or a landowner or a rich man. or uh, he, he, didn't t he called Lazarus by name. He said a certain beggar. A certain rich man. These are two real men who lived real lives and who are experiencing two very real eternities. Who's going to be in hell? Rich folks, poor folks. Small folks, great folks, men, women. Some died in their youth and some died in their old age. Now we can, get, we can, we can have a discussion about children and where they stand. Because I think there's a sufficiency in the death of Christ for all those who have not reached an age of accountability, who don't know the, 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 the truth about the gospel. There's going to be people from every, just like in heaven, there's going to be people from every kindred, tongue, tribe. In hell, in heaven, there's going to be that in hell. Being an American ain't going to get you to heaven. Being, they're going to be Democrats and Republicans. Independents and Libertarians. The one common factor of everybody that's in hell as they rejected the gift that God offered to them in His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and I'm going to tell you the reason most people reject that gift. The reason people persist in unbelief, 2 Thessalonians tells us that, is because they loved unrighteousness more than they loved the truth. Because they loved sin more than they loved the Savior. Because they wanted to live life on their own terms rather than heed the will of God for their lives. That's the one common denominator of every person that's in hell. 
the one common denominator of everybody's in heaven is they came by way of the cross. Those in the Old Testament were looking forward to the redemption that God promised in in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. They were looking ahead to the cross. Everybody post-resurrection, post-cross, we're looking back to the cross. There ain't nobody that got to heaven apart from what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on his cross and by his burial and by his resurrection from the dead. Nobody. That's the one common. Who's going to be in heaven? Rich and poor, small and great, black and white. Uh, American and Japanese listen heaven's going to be full of people but all of them are coming the same way through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ I don't have any doubt that I've got loved ones in hell today and you do I know listen I get this I'm a I, I've had to preach more funerals than I want to preach, and I've, had, I've preached some funerals that I, I wasn't sure. I've I preached some funerals that I, I didn't know about any fruit. I didn't see any fruit. I've preached, preached some funerals of some folks that I heard with their mouth say, I ain't never asked God for anything, and I ain't about to ask Him now on their deathbed. I preached at a funeral of one of the vilest men that I'd ever known in my life growing up who I saw hold a file up to heaven one day in, in a thunderstorm in the biker field and dare God to strike him dead. And the only thing I could give, the only thing I could give to that family is that he had a praying mama. And that there was a that, that praying mama, I heard her a thousand times in my life growing up. Call her son and her husband's names out in church. Pray for their soul. Pray for them to be saved. And the only hope I could give that family is I know that he had a praying mama. And I know that God hears the prayers of his saints. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. And I know that there was a thief on the cross that having lost every opportunity that he had to live a life that brought God glory and honor on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When ten minutes later he was cursing the name of Jesus. But when he cried in faith for deliverance, Jesus Jesus promised him that today he would be with him in paradise. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's an extenuating circumstance. There's only one evidence of a deathbed salvation recorded in the Bible. I would not stake my eternity on a deathbed salvation. I'm here to tell you, when you're grasping for your last breath, if you have an opportunity to even know that you're about to take a last breath, breathing the next time is going to be more on your mind than, than praying to Jesus for salvation. I'm just telling you the truth. You die in a head-on collision this afternoon and die, you've heard it said, died instantly. Where's, where's room for a deathbed conversion in that? These are two very real people who on a certain day, at a certain time, left this life on earth and immediately found themselves in eternity. I know going to funerals in the South especially, in the Bible Belt. I'm sure John and Stephen, and some, you could testify. When's the last time you heard a funeral sermon that you, that you well, I ain't sure about them. And I know why. We, it ain't my place. I'm not the final judge. And I, and I understand trying to bring comfort to a family. I get that. I want to bring comfort to a family. But you need to give some preachers some fruit to point at. A profession of faith, a baptism. You need to give them something so that family can hang on to that. Otherwise, we're left just to just to just try to preach the gospel and encourage that there may be a ray of hope because God is a gracious God. 
But the Bible makes it clear that not everybody that leaves this world goes to heaven. If you got loved ones in hell, like I've got loved ones in hell, and I could probably call some names this morning of some that I don't think made it, but I'm not going to do that. Because I'm just like you. I'm hoping when I step through those pearly gates that I see them standing there waiting on me. I hope, I hope against hope that they found a space in their last moments of this life um, to make their peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to hope that till I die. Because I can't bear to think otherwise. I can't bear to think about it. I don't want to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. But I know that it's true. There are people that I know and that I love that are burning in an eternal torment in that place called hell. You know what they're doing? They're praying. Everybody in hell believes. They ain't no unbelievers in hell. But they believe too late. They don't have to exercise any faith in hell because everything that they've been told has now become sight. And so while they suffer in their pain, while they suffer in their torment, while they look for a, a drop of water to cool their parched tongue, they're praying and pleading that none of their family, that none of their friends, that none of the people that they have known on this earth ever go to where they are. Send somebody. Lazarus, Take somebody from the grave and send them back because if they hear that, if they see that, then they'll know. I think Abraham pointed him to the resurrection. If they can't learn about the plan of salvation from the law and the prophets, they won't believe even if one comes back from the dead, which Jesus did. They're pleading for us to receive the free gift of salvation. To walk that straight and narrow path. And to do everything that we can to warn everybody else that we can. Will we listen? There are no second chances to get it right. I'm sorry, but the Catholic Church used that doctrine for years to make money. There ain't no purgatory. There ain't a halfway point. There's not a place, there's not a place that you can go in a holding and that somebody on earth can pray your way out of there right here right now is where we choose our eternal destiny C.S. Lewis said this is the dressing room of eternity and we're either going to put on the robes of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in what he's done for us or we're going to wear our filthy rags into the presence of God and be judged Unworthy and damned to an eternity separated from him. Hell is a real place with real pain and real people. And I want you to understand there's no suffering in this world that can compare to that. Something bothers me as bad as anything I know it bothers me. It's a pet peeve and I try not to say nothing because I don't want to hurt folks' feelings about it. But people without Christ are not better off dead. And there ain't no rest and peace for them. Now I see it when, when some of these Hollywood superstars that have all their life denied Christ and profaned Him and lived in perversity and, and promoted ungodly wickedness and die and everybody's rest in peace. Rest in, well, we, can, we can hope that they are, but there ain't no evidence in Scripture. The Bible said, there is no rest, saith my God, to the wicked. 
It don't matter how bad your life gets on earth. It will get exponentially worse if you leave this world without Jesus. You say, I don't believe that, preacher. Well, I ain't going to change the truth of it. What you believe and don't believe don't change the truth of it at all. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what the Bible teaches. Anybody that says no to God all their life should fully expect God to say no to them when they try to enter into his kingdom. Last week I talked about two masters, two paths, two pavements. Just as surely as hell's a real place, heaven is a real place. A real place. The difference is simple. It's a real place with real people. The difference is, is that hell is a real place with real pain and real people. Heaven is a real place with real pleasure forevermore. You know what the Bible says? In your presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's why when you read what, what John said in Revelation, after the, great, after, the, after the judgment seat, after the great white throne judgment, John said, I, I preached on this a few weeks ago. I saw a new heaven, a new earth. And, and then Jesus talked to John and said, I'm going to wipe away all the tears from her eyes. There ain't going to be no more sorrow. There ain't going to be no more sickness. There ain't going to be no more pain. No more death. That sounds pretty good to me. I'm going to be honest with you. Whatever you suffer, you can't, you can't imagine that old beggar Lazarus eat up with disease, starving to death, unable to take care of his own needs, thankful that the dogs at least came and, and soothed his sores. You can't imagine when he walked into Abraham's bosom and found no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, indescribable beauty. Um, you get to Revelation chapter uh, 21 and 22 and you start seeing the beauties of, of, of heaven, of the new Jerusalem unveiled before us. Indescribable beauty, inexhaustible joy, peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day. That will be. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't get to heaven without Jesus. I can't get to heaven without Jesus. But right here, right now, we can choose the way. We can choose the life. We can choose the truth that he offers to us. By turning from our sin. I'm a sinner. <clears throat> I hate myself because of my sin. I hate the fact that I have sinned against the one who created me in his love and grace. I know what sin is, is doing to me and has done to me and will do to those around me. And so I'm willfully, willingly, consciously, 
turning away from that way of life and turning myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I, I posted this on Facebook this morning. You go read it for yourself. I'm going to say it again here this morning. This business that you make a mere mental ascent to the historical validity that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected, and that that makes you a Christian, that's a lie. The Bible says the devils believe that and tremble. They know who Jesus is. They knew him when he walked the earth. They said, we know who you are. You're the holy one sent from God. They know why he came. They did everything to stop his mission. They are already condemned and doomed to hell. I don't know that the enemy ain't trying to take as many people as he can with him because he thinks God in his gracious is going to change his mind about it. We, we have an opportunity right now to say, to say I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Not just to accept that there was a man named Jesus who lived and died, was buried, and, and the claim is that he rose again. I'm, I'm willing and ready to say here today that that man died for my sins on that cross, was buried in that tomb, uh, and rose again so that I can have a new life in him. And I willingly, readily, um, excitedly, passionately, wholeheartedly lay myself down at his feet and say, Jesus, save me from hell. When you do that, he'll blot your sins out. He'll nail them to his cross. He'll cast them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. He'll write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. If your name ain't found there, you ain't getting in. You can turn from sin and self today and turn to Jesus. And you don't have to worry about hell for you. But I will say this, that the promises of heaven and hell ought to be the greatest motivators to make us turn to Jesus and to be witnesses for him. Every one of us is only going to have one chance to get this right. Now, he may offer you several chances. I, listen, God doesn't know us anything. He doesn't know us not anything. God would be completely just if he killed us all this morning. He would. You can argue with that if you want to, but the God who created life can take it from us at his will anytime he wants to and still be a just God. We owe our existence to him. We owe every opportunity that we have to be saved to him. If he's given you an opportunity this morning, it's just because he's gracious. He don't have to give you another one. He may never give you another one. Where you spend eternity is going to be completely based on what you do with Jesus. You can choose him today and escape the reality of hell forever. Let's stand. Lord, I... I know that um, this is a heavy subject, a heavy truth. I hope these folks know that I don't enjoy preaching it any more than